Deadwood Soundwell. Hello, and welcome to Living With Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Peltz, a certified animal behavior consultant. I would like you to be able to contact me with any questions you may have regarding particularly behavior issues, but I can address other things as well. One of my favorites is nutrition. So we're here to help you, and Nate will tell you how to get your questions to us. To get your questions to us, just email livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. That's livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. And also, you can find Living With Your Dog on Facebook. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Hi, welcome to Living With Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Peltz, Certified Dog Behavior Consultant. Today, I'm going to start off with Why Do Dogs Eat Cat Poop? Written Mm -hmm. by Dr. Sandra Mitchell. She's a doctor of veterinary medicine. But before I get into that, One of the things that I think is very interesting about dogs and eating excrement, they eat all kinds of excrement. Most dogs will eat all kinds of excrement. And what's often said about cat poop, and it's probably covered in this presentation by Dr. Sandra, is, or at least one thought, is that it's much higher in protein Hmm. because cats get a much higher protein diet. But one thing that comes to mind is, The fact that dogs eat poop, I think, is one of the main reasons they became domesticated. Because those animals that lived around the complexes of these people out in the wilderness would just go into the woods and poop. And dogs ate it. (laughs) And so they were very welcome around the campsite. Hmm. And it's one of the theories about part of their domestication is those that were sh- were not too shy to be in rather close. But of course, eating poop, they could do that when everybody else was asleep or away from the site. Mm. So they served a, a useful purpose. It's a very natural thing for dogs to eat poop. And I was talking with my vet friend, Kitty, and her dog never, ever attempts to go anywhere near her kitty um, trays you know the the, the um, litter box the litter boxes but if they're out for a walk and he comes across some deer droppings yippee <laughs> all right <laughs> the feast is on kids um and she's sure that <clears throat> he would eat horse manure if he had the chance she doesn't have any horses around anymore uh and that's a very common thing for dogs to do So let's see what Dr. Mitchell has to say about why do dogs eat cat poop? So your dog comes over wagging your tail furiously and eager for some kisses. But then you (laughs) notice a few grumbles of cat litter stuck in the fur around your dog's mouth and you immediately know what has happened. Your dog has been raiding the litter box again. Gross, right? It might seem pretty weird to us, but the average dog will eat some cat poop at some point. If you've ever wondered why dogs eat feces, also known as coprophagy, there's everything you need to know and what you should do. Here's everything you need to know and what you should do if you see your dog eating cat poop. At some stages of their lives, 
dogs eating feces is quite normal and in fact may be necessary. Mothers, mother dogs lick their puppies to keep them clean and they ingest the fecal matter in the process. Young dogs are born without bacteria in their intestinal tract, but they need bacteria to properly digest food. The quickest way to obtain it is by eating stool from animals that already have those bacteria in their system. And in reality, a mother dog teaches their puppies to eat stool when she cleans them. So it's not as innately gross to us dogs as it, as it, as it, as it gross to dogs as it is to us. But how does this translate to an adult dog that's caught raiding the litter box? There are two major categories of reasons why dogs will eat feces. Most cases involve behavioral causes, but there are some medical reasons as well. Unfortunately, in many dogs and perhaps most eating feces becomes a habit. In fact, some dogs actually seem to enjoy eating it. This can become a very difficult habit to break. Your dog is getting rewarded with something they like each time they're able to access the prize, a dirty litter box. So they are motivated to try again in the future. Much like us grabbing the bag of potato chips, even though we know it isn't a healthy snack, the dogs will be drawn to the litter box, even though they know they aren't supposed to. Uh, now, I question that. What dogs know is they're not supposed to go to the litter box when you are there watching them. <laughs> they don't know that they shouldn't go to the litter box because when you're not there watching them, they get to go and indulge. So it's, 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 this is a veterinarian who says that they know they're not supposed to when that's really highly unlikely. They only know not to do it when you're watching. Okay. Boredom is another common reason why pups will start eating feces. Since they explore the world with their mouths, the litter pan is no exception. And then they find a treat stashed in there, which keeps them coming back. Dogs that have ample playtime and get lots of exercise and interactive time with their families are less likely to develop coprophagia. Another surprising reason some dogs start to eat feces, as if they haven't, is if they have an accident, is if they have an accident in the house. If you have punished your dog in some way, even by yelling or scolding, scolding, they know they will be punished for their accident. So some dogs will hide the evidence by eating it. Yuck. This is just one reason you should always use positive potty training techniques and never punish your dog for accidents. Once they discover they like the taste of fecal matter, the situation can spread to the litter box as well. Uh, now, keep in mind that you don't ever want to be punishing your dog, period. It's not, you're, you're, you're hurting them for something you didn't train them to do otherwise. So you have to teach your dogs what you want them to do. And if you do that well enough and you manage, you're not even tempted to punish. The other thing is, when the dog has defecated or urinated, it felt good. It felt very comfy to relieve the pressure. You cannot turn the clock back and make them feel sorry they did it. That's not the way it works. Okay, medical reasons. Even though it's less common, medical causes for dogs, for dogs eating cat poop are diagnosed on a regular basis. The most likely reason tends to be malnutrition in cases where dogs are being fed a diet that does not meet all their nutritional needs. Most commonly, we see this in dogs being fed a homemade diet or one that has, oh, I love this, okay? Here we are with a vet that's, that's you know, promoting 
kibble. Yeah. And most commonly, we see this in dogs being fed a homemade diet or one that has not been AAFCO certified to meet <laughs> all the nutritional needs of that particular animal. And that's just not true, folks. That, yeah, that's just, nonsense. It's just absolute nonsense. This well, is a classic, classic example of a veterinarian that has been well educated by the pet food industry. Right. And she's yeah. indicating that the pet food has all of the necessary nutrients. Right. Exactly. Now, I'm <laughs> well, not well, saying I'm not saying that there aren't many issues of homemade diets not being well balanced. That's what I was just about to point out. Yeah. A lot of people can be doing that wrong because they're not getting the calcium phosphorus balance. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. And then so that's something that you don't just throw meat in the bowl. Right. It's not that simple, folks. Okay. So another other causes may include intestinal parasites, poor intestinal absorption, and some types of hormonal or endocrine imbalances. Occasionally, senior dogs who suddenly develop a habit may be suffering from cognitive dysfunction. The good news is, is that if your vet identifies a medical cause for your dog's coprophagy, you can deal with the underlying condition to prevent more significant problems. The treatment may also help eliminate the desire to eat stool. Unfortunately, there are some concerns with dogs that eat another animal species. First, if the other animal has any intestinal parasites or certain harmful bacteria like E. coli or salmonella, it's possible for your dog to contract these diseases. Now, here again is a veterinarian that's giving misleading information. The chances are that your dog probably has E. coli or salmonella bacteria in the gut. The difference is that when we have it in our gut, which is a very long place, it has plenty of time to develop adequately to infect us, but they have short systems. And so they can harbor the bacteria, but it never grows enough to make them sick. Hmm. And so here she is. And I can remember years ago, a woman that I had helped with some problems with her, her dog and the dog was so much better on the raw diet. And she was telling her vet how fabulous her dog was doing now that she'd switched it. And the vet did this, the finger waving in her face saying, you're going to kill your dog. You're going to kill oh, your geez. dog. It's like, really? Wow. So it's it, the pet food industry has done a wonderful job. Okay. <laughs> One seldom considered facet is that if the cat is, is taking medication, the residues from that drug may still be in the cat's feces when the dog consumes it, which may affect the dog. All right. Um, and of course, whatever your dog eats can be spread to your family through their kisses and saliva. Always wash your hands well after interacting with your dog and try to avoid kisses, especially if your dog is known to enjoy raiding the litter box. How to prevent your dog from eating cat feces? This can be a very difficult habit to break, and it will likely take patience and the willingness to try many approaches. I mean, excuse me, you put the kitty, kitty litter box where the dog can't get to it? <laughs> you know, hello? It's as simple as that. Oh, my goodness sakes. Really, folks. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's generally very easy to do that by putting the litter box behind a gate that the dog cannot get through under or over, but the cat can. So the litter box is 
all, it should always be in a spot where the cat feels comfortable. People will put it next to the washing machine. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The, the cat's going to feel really comfortable when that machine starts to go into its throbbing thing. So then they and, wonder why the kitty is not, not doing a, it. As we've talked about in weeks past, putting the, uh, the cat's uh, litter box away from the dog, that would be management. Yes. That's right. Okay. Right. There's no training needed. You know, it's, it's, it's all right. And now she goes on to say training methods. More, most importantly, do not punish your dog for raiding the cat box. This can actually make the problem worse, particularly if a dog eats stool in part as a reaction to stress. Mm. There are other ways to break the habit without punishment. If you've done this in the past, talk to your vet about finding a dog trainer who can teach you positive training methods. Clean the litter box often. One technique that is very effective but labor intensive is to clean the litter pan very frequently, probably each time your cat uses the box. Although self-cleaning litter boxes are on the market, some cats are afraid of these. So be aware of this if you decide to get one. Follow all of the advice from the company and keep both the old and new boxes available for a while to get your cat used to the idea. Incidentally, cat litter boxes should be cleaned every day at least once or you're going to find your cat defecating and urinating someplace else. They're very clean creatures and they do not want a dirty bathroom. Okay. (laughs) Increasing your dog's activity, exercise, and amount of household attention will also help, particularly if the habit was developed out of boredom. Tired dogs often have less interest in causing trouble and locks. Outdoor playtime will make it less likely for your dog to come inside and look for presents in the box. Make sure you are feeding your dog a well-balanced diet. Talk to your vet about what you're feeding your dog and ask for recommendations. I don't recommend that, no. folks. Yeah, I don't, no. I don't recommend that. Okay. Also, try slowing down how fast your dog eats, such as using a treat ball to dispense food to help improve digestion and reduce the instinct to eat feces. Very often, dogs inhale. I mean, not literally, but they, mm-hmm. they just hit, hit the dish. And, and it's gone, and they hardly know they've even eaten. When the dogs have to work a little harder to eat, it's a lot more natural, such as having to chew on a bone and, and break it up to be able, not, not, a, not a relaxation chewing, but a dog bone that they actually have to eat. It takes time. It's a much more natural way. They exercise their jaw muscles. They exercise their feet, holding the legs down, whatever it is that they're doing. So there's much more about a raw diet, species-specific food, than just putting food in a bowl. Okay. All right. There are supplements, medications, and food additives that can be used to change the flavor of the feces and hopefully deter your dog from eating it. Again, remove the kitty box from where your dog can get to it, you know? Wait, that suggestion was to give my cat something so that its feces tastes... You give the dog something. Oh, you yeah. give the dogs. Okay. Yeah. I thought I was trying to give the, the person who was ex who was making the feces. So the dog, well, it could be either feces. way because she's not real clear. Yeah. yeah. But that just sounds ridiculous. Give my cat. Well, we're in this sake, give my cat something so that the poop doesn't taste good to the dog. That seems really weird. Right. And cats are, you know, very fussy about what you give them to eat. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're very uh, close minded in a lot of cases. Okay, keep in mind that food additives need to be given to the pet whose stool is being eaten. Oh, there you go. There you go. 
This means that treating your cat comes into play, which can be a difficult ask for. <laughs> and consider a basket muzzle as a last resort. What? Yeah, so that you're going to put a muzzle on the dog instead of removing the tray where they can't get to it. Now, something that she doesn't mention, but is a serious consideration, is puppy mill puppies are very often victims of this sad behavior because there they are in a cage, nothing in there but the poop, no toys, nothing else. So they eat it. They play with it and they eat it. And that becomes a habit. So it's, it's something that is not uncommon for t- puppies, that dogs that come from puppy mills. Yeah. Sad thing. Wow. Okay. So dogs eating poop is, as you said, and as the article said, completely natural. Uh-huh. Is is it safe? I mean, granted, as we talked about, you know, the, the, the cat or the feces could have some bacteria in it that could be harmful to the dog. But for the most part, it's not going to affect my dog's health. In general, that's not the case. You know, they've evolved as scavengers. So, yes, we have dogs that have much more sensitive stomachs. A good friend of mine, Anne, she's got an aging uh, dog that uh, has a very sensitive stomach. And we just discussed that because he wants to put everything in his mouth and apples fall down from the trees and they they get there and they're lying and they're rotting and you didn't pick them up to put in your apple pie, et cetera. So the safest thing for her to be doing with this dog because they cannot be watched every minute and you can watch them and you can't get there fast enough to remove the stuff is to have the dog out there with a muzzle on so that a basket muzzle so that they can breathe and so that they can, can pant, but that they can't actually pick up things and eat it. So that's, that's a management tool that's very valuable to consider. So it's not the kind of muscle that closes their mouth. That's the type that the vet will use for a minute or two in a, on an examination where there is great fear that the dog is going to bite, either because the dog is under socialized or the dog is in serious pain. But the basket muzzle is not comfortable for the vet to put on because the dog is going to thrash around and he's going to get beaten up by the muscle. Mm-hmm. But putting your dog outside with the basket muzzle on that you have taken very elaborate trips to make the dog feel comfortable with the muzzle before you do that, mm-hmm. then the dog is managed and not able to pick up stuff it shouldn't. But when we're talking in terms of excrement, there are the issues of disease parasite control. Um, I can remember talking about it with horses. A lot of times the dogs would go to the, the horse barn, et cetera. And I'd, I'd say, just be sure you know the horses have not just been wormed because the worming takes place every couple of months or something with the horses. And you want to make certain that your dog is not eating horse manure freshly from dewormed horses. So these are the things that it's, it's probably better to try and avoid that than it is to just blindly accept it. So there are, there's a downside. Plus with, with deer droppings, I doubt that there's any strong aroma to have to deal with. 
but dogs that have eaten cat or poop from themselves or other canines. Pretty ripe smell, fellas. Yeah, that's not not what we want to be. Okay, so dogs eating feces is not necessarily dangerous to them, but we should do our best to uh, relieve them of that habit just in case. Yes, because there is always a risk of some kind of infection, parasite control, et cetera. Right. Plus the unpleasantness of having your dog smell like that. Or its breath smell like that, which leads to my next question. Now, should we be worried as humans when dogs happen to eat feces and then come and lick us on our face or our hands or anything like that? I think so, because there obviously is bacteria in that and there that's not our bacteria. Mm -hmm. So it's a risk. Now, it's especially interesting for people with a breed like schnauzers because they have mustaches and beards. Oh, right. And that, 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 that bad stuff can hang on the hair. Absolutely. Now okay. she, she just had a bone, a, a pork shoulder bone, and she came in and had a drink of water and I had to change the water bowl. Because I never thought about that. Yeah. Because the bacteria on the bone or the ground, wherever she was eating from is now in the water. It's in her beard and her her you know mustache that she's now dipped into the bowl, right? And it's a totally different color than it was before that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is and of there... course, the stuff is is adhering to the beard. And if you've got little toddlers around that are playing around the dog, that's a problem. You know, it, it's it's important to if you've got toddlers and you've got bearded puppy dogs, it's a good idea to be washing their beard on a regular basis. Not something they like you to do, but it's still worthwhile. (laughs) I was just about to ask that. Washing your dog's beard because it is a bacteria collector. That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow. And of course, again, with positive reinforcement training, you can make your dog thrilled beyond words to have you do that because one hand is feeding treats while the other hand is washing the beard and the mustache. Is there a way, uh, let's say my dog, does eat feces and I don't like its breath and I want him to lick me for some reason. Is there a way to clean the dog's mouth? Well, I think that it doesn't last for very long. Okay. Okay. Because once they, the saliva has done its job and the dog has swallowed it and had a drink of water, uh, the smell is not there, but, Certainly, and a lot of people, you know, like their dogs to give them a, we call it a kiss. It's probably not kissing as far as the dog is concerned, but licking is something that dogs do regularly. And very often they're they're licking, uh, you know, with all the wiggles and tail shaking and so on that you Mm -hmm. know that they're happy to do that. They're happy to see you. I personally don't care to be licked, but. I, I can understand where people will do that and, and be happy that their dogs are doing it. It's just not something that I'm excited about having happen. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I do have a bearded, you know, mustache bearded dog. So that's another consideration. Okay. I have one more question for you on this topic. Now, um, from this article from Dr. Sandra Mitchell, uh, she mentions in the, it, it, when she was talking about boredom, And uh, dogs can often have accidents in the house. Now, we've talked about this a lot. um, And we've talked about how not to punish. Well, don't punish the dog. Let's just start with that. But a lot of people, like I did when I was a kid, 
if I found my dog had pooped in the house, I would make I would freak out, you know, make a holler and take the dog and put the dog's nose in it and everything. And but you have told us in the past that the dogs don't understand that they don't get it. However, in this article, it said that they would eat the poop that they just made in the house because they know they were going to get punished. This seems kind of contradictory. It's there's a difference here. First of all, we're talking in terms of when dogs poop in the house, it's a house training problem that you have not been on top of. Mm-hmm. All right. So you have to take a copy of the Sunday edition of the New York Times, roll it up and hit yourself on top of the head 10 times. Saying, <laughs> I should have been watching my dog. I should have been watching my dog. I should have been watching my dog. So what happens with this is dogs will sometimes hide it because their association is you don't like seeing it. Hmm. And so therefore they're going to hide it. That, that saves you from looking at it. Another thing is keep in mind, we just talked about the fact that dogs eat poop. Some of them even eat their own poop. So shoving their nose in it is going to help stop them. They're poop eaters. <laughs> So you're saying that would be like shoving my nose into a bucket of ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> something exactly. similar. You know, it's a very good parallel. Those are a very good parallel. Yeah, it's like, you know, these stories surface. I grew up with that too. Put, you know, shove their nose in it and, and holler at them and scream and yell. But as we've learned more about dogs and more about the power of positive reinforcement training, all of these things need to be tabled. They need to be in history books about what we did <laughs> that we don't do anymore and why we don't do it anymore. Because right. we're not, again, we're not teaching dogs what to do. If punishment is effective, you haven't taught them what to do, even if you've made them afraid of you and they stop doing something there. You haven't trained them what to do properly. And that's what good training is about. Teach the dog the proper thing to do under the circumstances. And this is something that is, we dropped the ball with that a long time ago. But, and, it's, and it's very interesting that people are still promoting that type of so-called training when the science is not there for it. Totally. Yeah, I, I really, really stress the importance of the science that we're talking in terms of how animals learn. And it's not just dogs. It's cats. Cats are very trainable. Don't try punishing them. They just leave. <laughs> they don't stand around and take it the way a dog will. <laughs> no, they won't. They won't. I mean, they're, they're out. It's like, that's your problem, kid. I'm out of here. <laughs> the same is true with horses. Um, you know, there, there's clicker training, positive reinforcement training. I can remember one time at one of the, the seminars I attended, there was a tiger. He was in a training cage, but the tiger, tiger had been trained to stand up and paw, you know, high five on oh, the wow. cage and to down on cue. And I'm looking at these people in my dog training class say, I can't get my dog to lie down. I'm like, Really? <laughs> really you can't i mean hello i saw a tiger doing it on cue but a word 
And like you've said before, dogs already know how to lie down. That's right. <laughs> <Just like that. laughs> you know, we aren't teaching that. We're putting it on cue. But if you have poisoned your cue, done punishment with it, which the old-fashioned way, and I can remember doing it, is reach over the shoulder of the dog, pick up the left front leg, the right front leg, lean on them, and push them down. Right. Well, when I would have these training classes, I didn't do that with the Rottweilers until I'd gotten to know them by about five or six weeks. I'm going to put my face right next to a Roddy and push him down? I don't think so. I don't think so. But it was stupid, regardless of whether I got to know him or not. Right. And we can, we can not only reinforce down by just giving them treats when they're lying there. They get up and the kitchen's closed. And it's like, huh, when they figure it out and they, it's their idea, they're going to readily offer it to you on a regular basis. Then you can put a cue to it. The old days was you told them to down and you made them do it. Now you wait for the behavior to happen. And when it's happening regularly, then you say a cue to go with that behavior. Complete reversal. Totally. It's well, you can't tell a dog to, to lie down if you've never taught him to do it, to the word down, okay? <laughs> but we did that. That's what we did, okay? We were, <laughs> we were really sure we were doing the right thing. And people are still doing that. Mm. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it fair. And I'm glad we are getting away from that. Not as well, not as far away as we need to be, but we're getting away. Totally. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Okay, how about from Dr. Patricia, McC Patricia McConnell? She is a PhD and a certified applied animal behaviorist. She is one of these people that can very definitely call herself a behaviorist. You'll notice I call myself a behavior consultant. Okay, so she says, guardian, owner, parent, which of, are you, if any? So this was written back in May, and she says, yesterday was Mother's Day, and Laurel and I put up a link on Facebook to an article that Karen London wrote in Bark about making Mother's Day more inclusive, adding in women who care for dogs and did a picture. Laurel is my social media queen. She helps me with Facebook and Instagram, and I kiss the ground she walks on on a weekly basis for doing so. I just love Patricia McConnell. I shouldn't be surprised at some of the reactions. Motherhood is about as primal as it gets. And clearly the article, clearly the article hit a nerve. It also got a large range of reactions from, I think of myself as my dog's mother, to how dare you compare caring for a dog with raising a child. <laughs> as I often do on Sunday, I stayed offline most of yesterday and focused on my husband, my dogs, and my garden. And oh yeah, the crab cakes I made last night. Yum. <laughs> But once I was snuggled into bed last night, I somehow couldn't resist checking email, which led to checking Facebook, which led to lying in bed thinking about who are we to our dogs in our perception, if not language. So here I go into the breach for no other reason that I am truly deeply curious about how we categorize ourselves in regards to the dogs, our dogs. Here's my take on it, she says. First, take a breath and bear with me here. I do indeed call myself my dog's owner. I understand that many will take issue with that, but the fact is they are my dogs. And you know, I always think about that in that, that I can say my, my husband, 
my friend, my right. aunt, my uncle. I don't declare owning them. But when we say my dog, we're declaring ownership. Okay, so I, she says, I initially capitalized the word my because I can't stress enough that no one has the right to do anything, anything. You see how I stopped myself from using capitals again? To my dogs without my permission. I feel as possessive of my dogs as I've ever felt about anything. I'm reminded of a woman who introduced her boyfriend thus. This is John, my John. I loved her instantly for it. But of course, owner is completely inadequate. I also own a car and some plants in a microwave. And putting dogs into the same category, as the law often does, is offensive and absurd. My dogs are part of my family, purely and simply. Do I put them in the same category as my husband and my grandchildren, my sisters, my nieces and nephews? No but I do love Maggie and Skip, care for them, protect them, and cherish them as integral parts of my family? Yes. Do I have a deeply rooted emotional connection with them? Yes. As we all know, in recent years, there has been a trend to call ourselves guardians. And I welcome its attempt to acknowledge that dogs are sentient creatures who many of us consider as parts of our family, and we could no more own them than we could another member of our family. I'm also okay calling myself my dog's guardians, but the word doesn't begin to capture our relationship. Legally, guardians are people appointed by law to make decisions for their wards and represent their personal and financial interests. In many ways, they have far fewer rights than owners to care for an individual, and there's no suggestion that guardians have an emotional attachment to their charges. So from my perspective, she says, I am both my dog's owner and their guardian, and both items are painfully inadequate. Am I, am I my dog's mother? Should I be celebrated, celebrated for that on Mother's Day? Here's where the rubber met the road, or perhaps I should say the flower arrangement met the breakfast in bed on Facebook. I personally don't think of myself as my dog's mother or parent, even though I fill some of those roles. However, I truly appreciate Dr. London's column that one that the one that started all this for its acknowledgement that Mother's Day is not a happy holiday for many people, and that being more inclusive is one way to ameliorate that. I say that as a woman who desperately wanted children in her 30s and who cried off and on for years for the lack of them, and abashedly admit to snapping at wait staff who relentlessly greeted me as a mother at restaurants on Mother's Day, I actually once said, cringe, no, I'm not a mother, and it breaks my heart. Thank you for reminding me. Ouch. Oh. One of my favorite columnists, Margaret Rempel, wrote a beautiful piece in the New York Times about the range of feelings that Mother's Day evokes. And here's just a bit of it. Mother's Day is a saccharine invention, a national fairy tale in a nation that does almost nothing to support mothers. Right. But it's also a day for contemplating the ways in which we're connected to one another through times of joy and times of sorrow across time and across species. So my children will come over for brunch and I will set out mealworms for the bluebirds to feed their babies. I should note here, there is a male bluebird feeding one of his babies. A good reminder that this year has been motivated by Mother's Day, but the issue relates to both men and women. I love Mrs. Miss Rample's focus on life giving life and on the connections between us all, because that's what our relationship with dogs is all about, our connection, the miracle that it is to dogs, lucky us. One last thing, I have no problem with people who think of themselves as their dog's parent. It just doesn't fit for me. 
I don't see it as demeaning to those who have or are raising children, but I can understand why some might think so. Also, please be kind here. I've never been a big fan of the term fur baby. I think of my dogs once they are grown as adult, sentient, intelligent individuals. So it's the baby part that doesn't feel right to me. And yet, because dogs are unable to use complex language and are relatively helpless, it's understandable to compare them in some ways to a young, young human children. I talk about this at length in For Love of a Dog as part of what, why we love dogs so much. They are both helpless in many ways, can't open doors or feed themselves, and evoke our hardwired nurturing instincts, and at the same time, give us unconditional love we all wanted from our parents. So that in that sense, dogs are both our kids and our parents. Wow. How do we come up with a term for that? Yeah. I have no answers here about how we should describe our relationship to our dogs, but I'm curious what you think and what terms you use to describe yourself with and to your dogs. Harry Beston in the uttermost house, outermost house, best sums up where I am right now with all of this. And this is a quote. We need another and a wiser and perhaps a more mystical concept of animals. Remote from universal nature and living by complicated artifice, man in civilization surveys the creature through the glass of his knowledge and sees thereby a feather magnifying and the whole image in distortion. We patronize them for their incompleteness, for their magic fate for having taken form so far below ourselves. And therein do we err, for the animal should not be measured by man. In a world older and more complete than ours, they move finished and complete, gifted with the extension of our senses we have lost or never attained, living by voices we shall never hear. They are not brethren. They are not underlings. They are other nations caught with ourselves in the net of life and time, fellow prisoners of the splendor and prevail of the earth, caught up in the net of life. Me and Skip, me and Maggie. Yep, that's us. <laughs> Isn't she wonderful? All right, Charlotte. So what do you consider yourself, a parent, a guardian, or an owner of Angie? I know I'm an owner. By law, okay, I consider her family, mm -hmm. but but family could be cousins, could be uncles, aunts. So family is it. I'm, I'm not going to shorten it up. Um, I will certainly talk in terms of being her mom, but okay. it's a little farcical. It's a little bit like, you know, what else am I? I don't know. But it's... It's not that I object to somebody saying that. And a lot of times, more often in today's world than ever before, there are couples that prefer to have dogs to children. Oh, for sure. And I know plenty of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they become children in a sense. And of course, they're, they're treated a lot like children. Children, small children, grow up and change into adolescence, God help us, and ultimately, <laughs> with any luck at all, into uh, you know, um, adults. Well, dogs don't go there. Right. They stay dependent on us. You know, they, they can't open the cans of food or the bags or whatever it is you're feeding them. And um, there are some that have figured out how to open the refrigerator door and help themselves. But that's not a good idea. That's not a really <laughs> good idea. What they may choose to take from the mean the refrigerator is maybe not to your liking. So we're talking in terms of what, how do I feel about her? She's family. 
and I'm, I'm not her mother, but I can call myself mom. I can call myself, you know, Angie's mom. But it's it's kind of in in quotes. It's not in capital letters. It's not like for one minute I believe her. I'm her mother, and that's why we cannot treat dogs the way other dogs treat dogs. I've heard people say, "He bit me, so I bit him back." Really. Dogs know you are not a dog. They know that. Nobody had to explain it to them. It's interesting that dogs can recognize other species that look totally different from them. Great Danes that look at chihuahuas know they're dogs. The only conflict I've ever seen is that very often little white fluffy dogs are seen as prey. I've seen that look kind of yeah. like a bunny. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's, I've seen that happen a number of times where dogs have been completely gentle and well-balanced and friendly and sweet and are super alert and will chase after a little white fluffy dog. That's just and, instinct, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's more in the instinctual level. They just don't quite look like dogs. <laughs> and it's interesting also that a dog sees a cat. They know it's not a little dog. They know it's a cat. There is no question in their mind it's a cat. And for some dogs, it's, I think I want it now. <laughs> I think I'm going to I'm gonna go get a cat now. <laughs> and there are other dogs that have been raised with cats and feel totally differently. I remember many years ago, I had a friend who had a Great Dane as well as a cat. Now, I at that time had a Rottweiler. And, and we had a cat in the house at that time. Well, my friend's great Dane died and we went over to visit one day and her cat and, and Bernie, my Roddy was lying down on the rug and the cat went over and curled up between his chin and his chest oh, and took wow. a bath. And I was sitting there and I was hysterical and he's looking at me like, <laughs> help, you are going to help me, right? I knew he wouldn't do anything. Well, he put his claws into the rug and scooted away. And she got up with this dirty look and moved right back over. The tenant just continued with her bath, by golly. Wow, that is awesome. That's a great story. That'd be that'd be great to see. <laughs> it was great. I mean, I, I was at, I shouldn't have been laughing at my poor dog because he was being such a good boy. But it was pretty funny to watch. She had lost her Great Dane, and here came a friend. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I know you're not a Great Dane, but you're a big guy, and you've got a nice chest there to lean against. Such a study in behavior. And, and not only that, too, let me ask you this. The way you reacted, you reacted to this circumstance of your dog and a cat interacting uh, jovially, uh, joking. Right. You, you were laughing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think your dog saw that. If your dog saw you, like, you know, get nervous then the dog would get even more nervous and probably have yeah. a more extreme yeah. reaction. Yeah, there, there's no question about it. It makes a huge difference. Our mm -hmm. dogs are so sentient. They read us. And I've said before, they read us much better than we read them. For sure. The degree to which people do not recognize some of the simplest, most easily recognized signs they give us. And they think, isn't that cute? Just lifting a front paw, licking their nose, looking away, looking down. The, the uh, differences of the tail wags. 
the way the tail wags, how it wags. And I, re- I don't remember what it is. I've forgotten which side, but there's also an indication of what they're, if they're wagging more to the right than the left or vice versa, it's a symptom of something. And I've forgotten what that is, That's but crazy. yes, it's the, the, the rapid movement. If there's no other body movement could be a sure sign that you don't want to be there, how high it's being wagged. But when you've got a dog that is wagging its tail from its nose to the tip of the tail, you can be pretty sure that that dog can hardly wait to greet you or his friend. Right. (laughs) But there are people that don't recognize it. You know, if you see a dog wagging its tail and you think that's an invitation to get bitten, to to be petted, you're going to get bitten one day because tail wags are very different. And that's why I think it's criminal to amputate amputate tails. Oh, for sure. Because it not only makes it difficult for the dog to express herself or for you to read the dog, but it makes it very difficult for other dogs to read the tailless dog. Wow. Good point. Yeah. And it it's I think it's criminal to be amputating healthy flesh. And that goes for the ears as well. Now when you're talking in terms of Doberman Finchers, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is with those ears perked up, they look like they're on charge all the time. So other dogs seeing them read that as an alert and they have no choice. There's nothing more they can do about it. They can't flick their ears forward or backward or down or to the side and let you know that they really are being friendly. They can't tell you that. Hmm. Can't do it. Wow. Okay, going going back to this article from Dr. Patricia McConnell, um, and how we determine ourselves when when it comes to dogs, guardians, owners, parents, I really think it it it's semantics. Really, it just depends on the context that you're talking in. You know, if I'm feeling really lovey dovey and you know I'm cuddling up with my dog, of course you're going to say, "Oh, I'm your daddy." You know, this is my yeah, right, this is right. my kid type of thing. But you know, if like you said, in legal terms, I am the dog's owner. Um, right. You know, when it comes to being safe, I'm the dog's guardian. I think it just depends on context, and and you know, except for one thing, I was talking about this just yesterday with my friend Kitty, who's a veterinarian, and I don't remember how this subject came up, but. If the laws change and indicate that we are their guardians as compared to their being our property, the chances are that insurance that veterinarians would have to have would put a lot of them out of business. Why is that? Because because that means that if whatever they did it would be like having done it to your child right now. Oh. Right now you're talking in terms of, and this isn't fair either, but if the veterinarian is found guilty of mismanagement of some type and your dog died as a result of surgery that shouldn't have been performed or wasn't performed correctly, all that that is liable for is the cost of the, the operation and the value of the dog. So if you have a dog from the shelter, maybe $150. If you have a, a purebred dog, let's say male, the price of that dog could be determined by how many litters he will never be able to father. Oh, wow. And what all of those would be worth. 
That's a lot and of if money. And if the female, which can only have a maximum of twice a year, how many she would have, that would affect the price that the vet would be responsible for. But if it's a guardian and it's a child, you're talking in terms of all the emotional level to it, and their insurance would be skyrocketing. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if we if that were to be the legal term, uh, dog, we are a dog's guardians, and rather than the owner, that puts a lot more uh, lawful responsibility onto the guardian. That's right. Not only that, but the dog may be able to have standing, say, in court. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It changes a lot more things than just whether you think it's a good idea to say it or not say it. So that hmm, that's a tough one. I don't know how yeah. I feel about that. I mean, granted, I would like to see a lot of dog owners be lawfully responsible for the ways they treat their dogs. But, but I that's, also they should, that should be true, whether it's property or not. That's because a very they good are point. Rec- they are recognized as a living yeah. animal. And the, the problem is not that there are no laws that say that you shouldn't be cruel to your dog. There's just very little reinforcement of those laws. All right. And the declaration can be we simply don't have the, the resources to follow up on this stuff. And the dog that's chained outside, he's got a doghouse and a bowl of water. He's fine. We can't change, we can't change that. So that's that's an incorrect interpretation of what quality of life is. And that is cruelty for a social creature to be living a life like that. And of course, it's also highly risky if it's a chained outside without it being in a fenced yard. And if it's in a fenced yard, why would you have to chain it? But if it's outside, it means that ch- children could walk up to that dog. You know, the toddler down the street got out and I didn't know he was gone. And there he is being chewed up. Not mm-hmm. because the dog is horrible, but because of the frustration of being chained and having that chain predict and industry a very limited amount of territory. So territorial dogs and even dogs that weren't before that, that's their terrain. That's all they've got. And you have no business getting in there if you haven't been invited or welcomed by that creature. So, you know, that there is, we have a lot of laws, but we have very little reinforcement. And I think also there are parts of our country, like the South, for example, which is, has a much higher rate of poor treatment. And a lot of hunters, and I'm not, I'm not a hunter, I'm not going to get into an argument about whether you should hunt or not. Mm-hmm. I certainly understand people that hunt and then actually eat what they've been hunting as compared to trophy hunters. But oftentimes those dogs are in a pen until hunting season. And then they're, they're taken out and they're running for 10 hours a day. And then they're put back into the, into the kennel. That's, that's immoral. I think that that should not be legal. They should have a life besides that they require it uh, temperamentally and, and, and many other ways. So we have a lot of laws that are just never paid attention to. And we also have a lack of recognition of their real needs in too many cases, you know, as we become more aware of how sentient they are, that we need to be promoting that in better ways. 
that it's it's much more important. I remember some some years ago, there was a case, and it was shocking. It was a case of a trainer in Chicago that was using electrical charges around the dog's belly penis as well as around the neck to use it as corrections for misbehavior. Oh my goodness. And it went to court and she was absolved. That's, that's insanity. Well, and I think that that goes to the point that I'm speaking of, you know, is it deter? Are we owners or guardians? Now, that woman was obviously an owner because she could do whatever the heck she wanted with her dog. It was she was training a dog. It wasn't her dog. She was training a dog. Oh my gosh! It wasn't even her dog. No. Uh. And the people that would allow such a thing are ignorant off the charts. Yeah. Or also, and this is a reality, they get off on the punishment. There are a lot of those folks. That's true. People yeah. get off on the punishment. Mm-hmm. No, it's a feeling of, of power to be powerful over uh, something else. Absolutely. I've seen a Absolutely. lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I hate sure. to say it, but I've seen a lot of it in, in teacher elementary school teachers and teachers beyond teachers, teachers. Interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, but we won't go there. <laughs> so, well, the sad thing is because of your level of sensitivity, you could not remain in that profession. I was just about to say that. That's one, that's one of the many reasons why I did not go down that avenue. Uh, but going back, um, and I do also want to mention that uh, I was on the phone uh, the other night with my dad and he had his, um, oh, what is his dog? It's a huge old dog, Mastiff. He had a Mastiff, his lovely little Mastiff Ruby laying all over him and he was just <laughs> loving it. And, you know, my dad, that's my dad's. And we were talking about how, you know, all of his kids have left the nest. So my dad, my mom and dad no longer have any kids in the house. However, they do have three dogs and I think two cats. Oh, wow. And we were talking about how, yeah, my dad fulfills his fatherly desires or needs, you know, to be a father with Uh his dogs. And we were talking about that. And that's kind of along the same boat. Owner, guardian, father. We treat them as family. Absolutely. Yeah. He he does call them his kids. Sure. And And, and we do that much more. You know, it, it hasn't been more than a couple of generations ago where dogs didn't live in the house on a general basis. I told you, this is the same guy I've told you before. Back when I was a kid, our dog stayed out in the backyard or in the garage. This Uh is the same man. In fact, we, we touched on that. He's like, yeah, these are my kids now, you know, Uh they're in the house, they cuddle and stuff. It's, it's amazing where we've come and I'm looking forward to where we're going with between the relationships between humans and dogs. Um, well, I hope that we continue to remember that they are dogs. Okay. I mean, I, I don't like seeing dogs all dressed up ah, in people yeah. costumes. There are some dogs that look like they don't bother. It doesn't bother them. And the other dogs look really stressed. I, I think we must remember that they do doggy things. They sniff butts. We don't sniff butts, at least not on a regular basis. They sniff butts. (laughs) They are inclined to lift their legs and 
even the girls will do that periodically so that they will lift it so that they look like whenever somebody comes by and smells that urine, I think they're a lot bigger than they are. Um, I remember one day years ago, I was living in Mexico and there was this guy, a man standing next to a pickup truck, urinating up into the top bed of the pickup truck. I was, he was seeing how far he could make it go. <laughs> he, he had some problems, I guess. <laughs> Okay, on that note, we have reached the end of our time today. <laughs> that seems like a good place to stop. <laughs> oh, I'm boy. glad it wasn't a beginning, huh? <laughs> well, we did start off by talking about why dogs eat poop. Just saying. There you go. That's not we too far off. The cycle. We completed the cycle. <laughs> Okay, let's do some review. Uh, (laughs) Let me catch my breath here, sorry. Uh, From (laughs) Dr. Sandra Mitchell, why do dogs eat cat poop? Well, there are, it's it's like, uh, you know, why are dogs' nose wet? We still, we have some theories, but we still don't quite know for sure. Right. Even though it's natural, it is not necessarily dangerous you still want to manage that behavior and not let your dogs eat that poop it, it, it yeah, could... and remember don't punish them because you may encourage them to eat it to hide it so that you don't see it yeah that is a very good point i was just getting to that yes never punish your dog don't stick your dog's nose in the poop as charlotte says they like that stuff <laughs> <laughs> and what charlotte also tells us to do is teach our dogs what to do You need to teach them what to do because they don't know what to do yet. Teach them what to do. Give them an advantage. (laughs) And then uh, from Dr. Patricia McConnell, we love Dr. Patricia McConnell. And uh, are we our dog's guardian, owner, or parent? And, you know, I think that I'm just going to leave that alone. I I think it's an individual thing. Some, Some people are, you know, feel really close to their dog and consider them to be a parent and, and treat them, the dog, as such. All right, Charlotte, before we head out, do you have any last words for us? Let's see what we have here. How about Richard Friedman said, money will buy you a fine dog, but only love can make her wag its tail. And that's what your responsibility is, folks. Make them happy enough to wag your tail to see you. It's a nice feeling. I I like, I'm going to add to that. I want to see the dog's, Wagging their tail from nose to tail, as you there said you earlier. Nose to go. tail you wagging. Want to, you want to see the body wiggle. You want to see that body wiggle. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Isn't that cool? Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast, Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones and the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. 
Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project.